Good morning. We've had babies all morning. Only one wimpy one. I mean, whimper, not wimpy. Whimper, whimper. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And uh, blessings to all of you. Uh, we are here uh, closing out a series called Kingdomnomics because God has a completely different way of dealing with economics. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter how much you make. His principles are for all people, all places, all times, all cultures, uh, regardless of who we are. His principles uh, grow out of a living relationship with him. So we come to our final day in this series today. Um, I heard about an old man who was failing terribly in his health. Every week, he would send a family member to go buy a lottery ticket. And lo and behold, one week, he, he hits the jackpot, $10 million. The family was a little concerned how he would take it in his weakened condition. And so they called his preacher and asked him if he would go over and just kind of break the news to him gently. And so the preacher agreed to do that, went over and very kindly, carefully kind of laid it out and then told him what he had won. And the old guy took it well. His heart handled it well. And uh, he, he uh, went unflustered. And he said, you know, God has been so good to me all my life. And uh, he has blessed me beyond measure. I, I want to give five million of it to the church. And the preacher had a heart, heart attack and died. <laughs> you know, such generosity should never be a shock when it comes from a person who has been marked by Jesus. In fact, it is one of the marks that we understand what has happened to us and for us because of him. We've been considering God's, God's uh, plan for economics as we learn that. God is not interested in our money. He's interested in making disciples. But he knows that where our treasure goes, that's where our heart is going to go also. And so he's always challenging us to determine and measure carefully where we're putting our treasure in life. So Jesus had a lot to say about it. Um, one, one measurement we have to demonstrate if we are truly sold out to Jesus is by following the money trail in our lives. So the first week, we looked at the principle, own nothing. And we wagged our fingers saying, it doesn't belong to you. Let's practice it again. One, two, three, it doesn't belong to you. It's all his. Everything belongs to the Lord. That's hard for us to learn. If we get that wrong, we'll be wrong in every other area as well. Second of all, we looked at the parable talents, we learned that we manage everything, own nothing, manage everything. That parable teaches us, Jesus' Jesus story he tells, that when he comes back, we will give an audit about how we have invested God's money in kingdom purposes. So manage everything well. Last week, it was do something. And that was all about the fact that none of us drift into wise money management and stewardship of what God has given to us. It happens by intention. We have to decide what we're going to do. Today, it's value everything. Value everything. And here's the principle. We are as rich as we think. We're as rich as we think. That's not a twang. It's meant to be said that way. We have to cultivate a thankful heart to tear down the personal walls that we build up, establishing our own personal kingdoms. A lack of gratitude makes us vulnerable to idolatry. 
There's always something that is rivaling the position of God in our lives and Jesus Christ as our Lord. And often it's money and possessions. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, Paul's saying, look, you should, people should look at creation and know God exists. There's a master designer. There's enough seen by creation. We should at least, at least acknowledge that. Then he says, for although they knew God... They neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So a lack of gratitude, a lack of gratitude increases the likelihood of crediting someone else with our money and the possessions. And usually the other person is us. We credit ourselves. So scripture is full of challenge uh, to us that we will stay thankful and keep growing in gratitude. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So my question for us all is, how fluent are you in the language of gratitude? Are you, have you ended up being a negative, dark, critical person about life? You know, that, that language is easily adopted and learned in our culture. We have to train ourselves by virtue of the fact we've been saved by grace in the language of gratitude. Now, we don't see ourselves as wealthy as we are, do we? The majority of us, we don't, we don't consider ourselves rich. There may be some of you that, that really feel that and know that. Most of us don't. You know, when people are asked by different surveys, how much more do you think you'd need to have enough? Across the board, people generally say about 10% more. Whether they make $10,000, I mean, $30,000 a year or $60,000, quarter of a million or a million, if they had 10% more, then they think they'd be in the right place. None of us think we're rich, but all of us know somebody who is. That's how it is. Well, we deny the blessing of being rich perhaps more than any other blessing we have. You know, in the world today... That are, there are some 844 million people who do not have access to pure water. Every two minutes, a child in the world under the age of five dies of poor water or sanitation. That's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? And the time I'm talking about it, another child is going to die less than five years old. Because, and I casually go to my faucet. I go to a drinking fountain. Whoever thought we were going to be buying bottled water someday? Some of you don't know a world without it. When I was growing up, the thought of buying bottled water, what is that? And we do that casual thinking. And yet, so many in the world don't even have access to water. There are 15 million people in the world that live on garbage dumps. 15 million. And here I am. I live in a 2,000 square foot house 
Two of us live in that. We each have our own car, and our cars have a house. I mean, how rich is that? We do not think because we do not think. We do not think we're all that rich. Jesus looked at the masses of people that were hungry, and he was given a a, a little sack lunch that had five loaves and two fish, and the first thing he did was lift his head, his eyes to heaven, and he thanked God for it, and then a miracle happened. And what we want is God to do something stunning, and then we'll give thanks. We have it so out of order. When we cultivate a mindset of gratitude, when we increase in the fluency of the language of gratitude, three things will happen at least. First, you will decrease entitlement. Abraham Lincoln was walking with his two boys. They were pouting, and somebody said to him, what's wrong with your boys? And he said, the same thing that's a problem with the world. I've got three walnuts, and each boy wants two. That says it pretty simply, doesn't it? We are discontented because we don't have what we want. It's all, we're all already well into the advertising, advertisers preying upon our needing certain things to be happy and fulfilled again this Christmas season. Our culture feeds the I am owed mindset. If I had more, I would be happier. We think we deserve it. We're ungrateful when we do get what we want, and we're disgruntled when we don't get what we want. 1 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, I don't, I read that verse of scripture, and I I fear, I mean, I know myself, I have, I have so become stunted in my growth of grace and generosity. Can I live this verse as Paul writes it? If I have food and clothing, I'll be content. I don't think I have yet grown to that kind of maturity. Would you be content if today all you had was food and clothing? I don't know how many times I've prayed in my life, give me today my daily bread. I've never had to pray it sincerely because I've never worried about my next meal. But many, many, many people in the world are wondering how they're going to feed their children. Philippians 4 says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's joy level was not determined by the conditions of his life, and we have to learn the same thing. We are not entitled to God's blessings, but we are graced by God's blessings. James 1 says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Thanksgiving, a thankful heart, thankful language is the vaccine against a discontented spirit and heart and the deception that comes in our affluence. So this changes from, why not me? Why can't I have? Why can't I go? Why can't I do? To, why me? Why do I get to be here? Why do I have what I have? Why am I so blessed? 
So you will decrease entitlement. Second of all, we will increase enjoyment. Financial planners, I know there are a few of you hiding out there. You don't like this point, but the Bible says more about enjoying than saving. Now, I'm not an advocate of being careless with money and not being prepared for the future. But Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. We dads, I mean, don't we love giving our kids gifts? I mean, don't we love buying for them? Sure we do. And we love watching them enjoy them. Why are we like that? Because we're made in God's image. And so we reflect God himself as we give good gifts to our own kids and watch them delight in them. That's part of the fun of being a dad. 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy 4.4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So the more grateful we become, the more joyful we are in what God has given us. And the more joy we experience, the more we grow in the, in, in the, in the generosity of our lives as well. Be careful about the thinking that's, that's there and then over here and now. If I can get there and experience that, I know I'll be happy and more content than what I am with the here and that. No, that's not how it works. I mean, so, some of you are wrestling, looking for a job. Some of you are barely eking out an existence. Some of you are single moms. You know, they're, they're trying to raise your kids. Some of you are single dads trying to supply for your kids. I mean, so, so, I mean they're, they're single people, fixed income people. We have people all over the page. And, and, and Paul says, I have learned to be content. And somehow we have to get there. And we have, we have to learn about this is where I am. This is the here and now. And I'm going to learn joy in the midst of what I have now. I mean, if you can afford, are you a thankful person? I mean, just take an inventory. Ask your spouse, do you see me as a thankful person? And be honest. You know, are you with the, ask your kids, do you think I'm a thankful person? Do I, am I fluent in the language of gratitude? See what they say. What's your language like? What's your talk like? You know, uh, um, you know, if you can afford a gym membership, have you thanked God for that? Even it is $10 when a plan of fitness. <laughs> you go cheap, all right? That's okay. Some people couldn't do that. Um, you know, I, I, there's so many things that I fail to thank God. I, I go to the hospital all the time. I don't thank God enough that, that I don't have to be in the hospital. And I should be the one because I see people in all kinds of conditions. I was in the hospital once for an appendectomy when I was a senior in high school. That's it. I mean, my wife and I together, I, I've named all kinds of figures all morning in these sermons, but less than $1,000 together did we have to claim on taxes, which is nothing, of course. You can't claim that little. And our, in health needs last year. But how often have I left a hospital thanking God for good health? I mean, when's the last time? And there's so many things to be thankful for. When's the last time you thank God just for your circulatory system? 
or the way our bodies fight germs. Or is it this, it's terrible when you get a cold. But I've always wondered, why did God make the infection drain from the middle of my face? I think I would have a better location. But God, for some reason, wants me to drain here in front of everybody. I don't get that. But aren't you thankful that he made you in a way that that drainage happens? You ever thank God for mucus? You know? Your joints, your arteries, the breath you have. You know, everything, every, the, way, the magnificent way he designed us, how much there is to be great. I am, I, oh boy, I, I am such a whiner. Are you a whiner? How many would you confess you're a whiner? Okay, let's stop it. Let's make a vow together to stop whining. So I'm out raking my leaves, all right? Now, I don't know personally why God didn't change colors naturally. Why does he have to go from green to beautiful radiant colors to falling? Why can't they go back to green? He's God. He could have done it that way. But instead, he chose to mess up my yard. So I'm out raking, and I'm ticked off that I've got a rake, and then I start thinking about my Thanksgiving sermon. And then I have to repent, knowing that I have the energy to do this, and there'll be a day in the future when I so wish I could be in a backyard raking leaves. Right? Such a whiner. If you hear me whining, would you slap me? Okay. We have so much to be thankful for. There's an old song, most of you don't remember it when I was young. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Remember that? Remember that? It's a lousy song, but... It's a worse Christian hymn. Why do we have to wait till something's gone to value it? We ought to learn to value every day throughout the, even in the midst of hardship and things that we don't like happening, we still have so much for which to be thankful. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Doctors Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough are two psychologists. They've done lots of research on gratitude. And they, they took a huge number of people and they divided them into thirds. To one third, they said, we want you to list every day things you're thankful for. The second group, uh, list all irritations in your life day by day. The third group, you can write down anything you want, any observations. And of course, in their study, what they found is that those who listed the things they're grateful for, basically, and overall, after 10 weeks, they were more optimistic, they felt better about life, they exercised more, and they had fewer visits to the doctor. Now, it's not a scientific study, but those kinds of studies over and over again have revealed the direct correlation between a person with a grateful heart and his sense of well-being in life. Let's be good stewards of what we have. Let's be thankful people. Let's speak the thankful language. And third, you will practice engagement. You'll practice engagement. Engaging resources in God's kingdom is what this is about. It will be a routine practice of our lives. Uh, it's, it's only generous people that are generous out of the grace of God that do that well. Now, can you find generous people that aren't followers of Jesus? Absolutely you can. 
I've known generous people. Uh, we, we read about a great uh, philanthropist who give to world causes and needs. So you don't have to be a Christ follower to be generous. But can you be a true Christ follower and not be generous? I'm not sure about that. It's the indication that we value the cross of Christ. And our generosity, when it is funneled for kingdom purposes, outlives us. What we do in the name of Christ in becoming generous is all about peopling heaven. That's why Plainfield Christian Church exists. It's about increasing the senses of heaven. And so that's why we partner with people in the world. That's why we have ministries here. That's why we are always challenging us to build relationships with people who don't know him and love them to a new life in Christ. We're all about the kingdom of God because only two things last. Remember, God's word and people. That's it. Everything else is burning up eventually. And so we give for his cause. There's a reason why miser, miser and miserable come from the same root word. Thankful hearts engage with God's purposes. We are rich. There's no debate. So let's be good and rich. Let's be good at being rich. Hear me? Let's be good at being rich. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, here again, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, okay? He's commanding me, right? Okay, stop being arrogant, okay? Do you hear me? Stop being proud. Stop being arrogant about what you have. Put, don't put your hope in wealth, he says, which is so uncertain. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves. That's what we're doing. It sounds self-serving. But when we give ourselves away in the name of Jesus, what we're doing is really benefiting ourselves because that's the way God works. When we trust him with what he commands us to do, it always returns to us. We don't give to do it. Nevertheless, that's what happens. I'm not making it up. That's what God just said. So he says, Lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that when they take hold of the, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, this is a shadow of the greater life that we're yet going to enjoy. All right? So if you dropped dead today and you got there, would they be hunting for your foundation, not finding anything? Well, there should be some stones here somewhere. I mean, you say you're a follower of Jesus, right? There must be some. Nothing. No. What we're doing, we're laying up treasure. We're sending ahead as we've learned through the treasure principle, a foundation for our forever lives. So, nowhere does the Bible say stop being rich. It doesn't say that. Money makes a terrible master, however, and it makes a wonderful servant. Some through the years, a few have taken a vow of poverty. Jesus never commands that of all people. But you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not take a vow of generosity. It just aligns with the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, as we allow him to work more deeply and fervently in us, helps us become a channel of blessing rather than a dam of God's resources. Blocking blocking those resources. Thanksgiving is not a day, friends, not for us. It's a movement. It's a movement in our lives. It's a response to meeting Jesus. And to be generous flows from understanding the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
You know, what, what is it that God needs that he doesn't already have? He doesn't need our money, doesn't need anything else. The only thing he doesn't have that he wants is more of you and me. That's what he wants. Are we giving ourselves to him more all the time as he so deserves? You are the reason he died. Generosity is rooted in the grace he's shown for us. As we are marked by Jesus, generosity flows from us. That's one of the ways we know we're growing in Christ Jesus. This series really ultimately is not about money, but it's about the gospel. It teaches us, the gospel teaches us to think and thank differently. The most powerful section of scripture on money is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that closes with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And when we're overwhelmed with Jesus our treasure, all other treasures fade when he is our treasure. And so this Thursday, we're going to eat a lot of good food and probably watch a lot of bad football. (laughs) Will you take time with your family to be thankful for Jesus and what he did for you? That's the greatest gift of all, isn't it? It's the greatest gift of all. He... He came, he became like us. He took our sins from us by dying for us because he didn't want heaven without us. Is Jesus your true treasure? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven... Oh, I confess, along with these brothers and sisters of mine, that I, I fail in this category of gratitude so often. Please forgive me. Help me to hold loosely what I have and be eager to share. Father, I pray that the whole spirit of our church will grow in this fluent language of gratitude. I pray, Father, we will learn generosity to a level that anybody who comes to join us is astounded by what we do in the name of Jesus for the cause of Christ. In small ways, large ways, seen ways, unseen ways, expand our hearts, deepen our faith, call us to things higher. You have made us so rich. And I pray we will be good at being rich for the name of Jesus Christ because he's been so rich toward us. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship our great God.